Greetings, friends, and welcome to the 10th edition of the Rhode Island Builders Association's Monthly News and Views podcast. I'm your host, Paul Eno, and it's February the 23rd, 2022. Co-hosting with me today is REBA Executive Officer John Marcantonio. We're also joined by REBA Communications Manager Monica Cummings. Good morning, John. Morning, Paul. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Miss Monica. And good morning, Monica. With us today is Sherry Walton, president of Risk and Safety Management, a member of REBA for many years, and a close partner in Job Site Safety Matters. Sherry, please tell us about yourself. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, John. Um, first of all, thank you guys for having me on today. I'm really excited to talk to your members uh, about safety. And But first, a little bit about me. So as you said, I'm the president of Risk and Safety Management. We are a consulting company that's been working with REBA. And something I wanted to show you guys today, since February 2001, we've been uh, partnered with you guys. And it's it's been a great partnership and being a membership of REBA. So I operate, been operating risk and safety management for almost six years now. Uh, my grandfather started it. He was the initial person that started the membership and the relationship with you guys. Um, so I grew up watching him. I can remember being 14 years old, sitting in the training facilities and, and watching these OSHA 10s and 30s going on. And I had a great passion for it. So I went to school for it. And then now here I am running it and uh, working with local contractors, just making them aware of what's required of them and how to go about it if they do have an OSHA visit. Very good. Our subject today, obviously, job site safety and what OSHA has in store for everybody in the rest of 2022. John, take it away with our question. Well, first, Sherry, I, I, I love the history there because I, I have quite a bit myself. So like my father was, I think, a member in the late early 70s and been on the board since the late 70s if that makes any sense paul eno of course has been there the entire time right so both our grandparents and my father etc they i know we have a history with paul goes paul goes way back now to the podcast right paul i mean back when it was just black and white now you're on uh <laughs> now, now you're on doing all this you know real high tech stuff so thank you for sticking yeah, we've with been have indoor plumbing john right exactly all right all teasing aside <laughs> Uh, Sherry, you know, one of the biggest things that's out there that is it's a big issue that very few people think about until it happens to them is safety. Right. We we're all guilty, I think, to some degree in this industry. I've done it myself. Just, well, if I don't have to move the ladder. I can just reach. Um, why tie ourselves down? I just got to go put one more shingle up. Um, all these little quick little tidbits that pop into our head, the little distractions cause injuries, cause major problems for companies. And there's a lot of resources out there. Yours the association itself, uh, insurance companies and OSHA, where they try to help upfront with uh, giving you the information education you need to prevent accidents. Can you give the listeners here just a brief overview of what happens when something goes wrong on your job site? So there's a couple of things. First of all, if we're talking about an accident or an incident, um, it's gonna greatly affect your company, especially smaller residential companies that are getting going. Uh, you guys offer now an insurance side. <clears throat> so you guys understand it on an insurance aspect. It affects a lot. So your workman's comp, obviously you're going to have to be taking care of that individual that's potentially hurt. Now that's going to go into a rating. Every year you have to turn your rating 
into OSHA. You have to report that should you have the right amount of employees. If you have a high mod rate, that could trigger an inspection. It also is going to obviously trigger some issues with your insurance company. And then even then, if it's a hospitalization, inpatient hospitalization, a loss of an eye, amputation, or a death, you're required to report that to OSHA. And most likely, they're going to come to your site and visit it because of that. So lots of things going wrong when you have an incident besides just that person being hurt and dealing with that issue in itself. Now, our industry in a residential construction, I've learned through the years, has uh, quite a bit of, of accidents and, and many of them severe. It's not just, oh, I cut my finger type of stuff. Um, a lot of the major commercial sites, they have safety officers on site. They have a whole protocol in place. It really is up to the small contractor to understand the protocols that are required of his or her job site and to implement them. Can you help us understand where folks can get that information, what resources are available to them, and again, the importance of them in knowing this? Yes. So firstly, I think OSHA's done a good job. They've done a lot of work on their website in the last few years. Pretty much anything you need to know, go to OSHA.gov, um, and then they have a search tab. So you can type in specific questions on there or just a topic, and then it'll give you the standards, letter of interpretations, programs. Uh, they have training resources on there. So it's a good starting point um, to understand that call Reva, you know, you guys, you guys have individuals in your own facility that can answer a lot of questions and we can certainly help anything that you guys can't. It, it is a lot to know. And that's where it becomes difficult for a lot of companies because there's so many standards, there's so many programs, there's so many protocols, and you could very much be doing something wrong just because you don't understand it or don't know because it is so comprehensive. So I would say first start with the OSHA.gov, get yourself familiar with their website, get familiar with their search tab. There is a lot of resources and then start using the association. I mean, you guys, one, have a lot of trainings. You do have individuals that can answer questions. And then, like I said, anything that you guys can answer, certainly give us a call. I always say phone calls are free. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> so I will always answer any, any type of question that arises like that. One of the issues among our members, I believe, is that they think that OSHA pays more attention to commercial job sites than to residential job sites. And uh, I, I can testify firsthand in 1997, back when dinosaurs walked the earth, I happened to come home and there's your grandfather standing in my driveway, Sherry. Uh, I was having a new <laughs> roof put on and <laughs> there was uh, somebody called saying that they didn't have the proper something or other. And uh, there it was. So could you say a bit about, uh, about that, that residential contractors are not off the hook? Yeah, and I, I really did wanna talk about this today because it is a common misinformation that individuals have and companies, smaller residential companies have. OSHA absolutely reg regulates residentials. And something I did wanna make uh, individuals in our region, region one, which is Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire and Vermont. In 2019, October, 2019, OSHA made a local emphasis program specifically for residential. So there is a CPL directive out there telling compliance officers to target and emphasize residential construction. Now, like we were talking about earlier, COVID's obviously affected things. So that was right before things got really bad. 
So I would not be surprised if come this April and summer, we see a lot more OSHA compliance officers starting to inspect. And it's part of their emphasis program. So they're going to look at it. Um, so they definitely do regulate it with that compliance directive in, in it's not to expire until 2024. That alone is going to uptick it. Um, I can tell you just in 2017, I found two contractors in Florida. Uh, one of them was fined $673,000 for non-compliance issues, both willful and repeat. There was another um, contractor that was fined $143,000. So they're out there and these fines are going up. They're going to keep going up. They Four years ago, they went up 80%, and now they're going to go with the consumer index. So we know that's going to keep rising up. It's They're, they're going to start visiting these sites. And then, like you said, phone calls happens too. There are more people in the general public that are aware of safety than there used to be. So a concerned parent, a concerned neighbor is going to start making those phone calls and calling in your local area office. And that, too, is going to start rising compliance officers coming out to your site. All right. What are the fines like that? I understand uh, OSHA reviews them and generally raises them every year. Is that the case? And they just did? Yes. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah. So give us a, if, if we can bear to hear it, uh, give us the example of what, what they can do. So what I'll do right now, I'll tell you, when it comes to, they break it down into different types of violation. It goes from serious, other than serious, willful, repeated, and failure to abate. So serious, um, well, should say other than serious. Minimum penalty, zero. Maximum, 13,000 per violation. So let's say um, you have someone working around a table saw and they left the station, but they didn't put the guard back on it. That might be deemed as other than serious. It's not a fall hazard, but it's still something significant that someone could get hurt on. Um, that's going to be one violation. But if they don't group it, they could stay training, saying that person wasn't properly trained to put the guard back on it. Now you have two. Those can be up to a maximum of 13,000. So that's other than serious. Next one up is serious. That starts out roughly minimum per violation is about 1,000. Again, the maximum for that is 13, 14,000 per violation. Going up from there, if you are trained and you're well aware, so now let's talk about fall hazards, that's the biggest one. And you have an individual that's been trained, they, it's documented, they know they need to tie off, but they ultimately say, hey, this is a quick measurement, I'm gonna go out here and get this. And you get hit by OSHA, OSHA sees that minimum, for that violation is close to $10,000. The maximum for that one violation is almost $140,000. Same thing for repeat. If you get caught with a fall protection, um, same scenario, let's say it's less than five years from your first and you get caught again, that's called a repeat. So again, that's that 10,000 to 140,000. Um, if you go into OSHA, you do your informal settlement, 
you say, I'm going to retrain my guys. We're going to put these things in place. You make an agreement and you fail to abate or fail to make that correction. It's 14,000 per day that it goes uncorrected. So we're talking some pretty serious fines here. So you have all the fines then you have the damage to your, you know, reputation. Right. Then you have the, the employee who's like, I didn't know my, my boss never even trained me in this stuff, who now becomes aware of the risks that he or she had taken on the job sites. It's a mess. And I get calls. The association gets calls. Not enough from members or companies who are looking to prevent the problem. We get the calls once they have the problem. So one of the things we want to do with this podcast is really stress the preventative nature of Sherry Services, the association's resources, OSHA's websites. Getting your employees trained. Now, the association offers free for its members and their employees OSHA training. Sherry, can you just tell folks? I know this seems like it's such an obvious question to you, but like, what is an OSHA 10 card, right? What is OSHA 10, OSHA 30? What what does that training give an employee or employer? So I say OSHA 10 is good um, for your ground employees, people that are just facing some common hazards. You're going to have your focus for in there, fall protection, struck by, caught in between, electrocution. Those are going to be your main, but it's it's just an overview. It's only 10 hours. Um, I would strongly recommend anyone that's going to be a project manager, lead foreman, um, anyone higher up, make sure that they get that OSHA 30. It's a lot more comprehensive. Then you have the ability to break down into subtopics that are specific to your company. So if you're an excavation company, then it's really nice that you then can have that longer time to discuss that. It's a little bit more comprehensive. So OSHA 10 is required for projects in Massachusetts. Uh, Anyone that's going on to a job site has to have an OSHA 10. And something for people to keep in mind, those expire within five years for Massachusetts. And if you lose your card within two years of receiving it, whether it's an OSHA 10 or a 30, you have to retake that course. Right now, neither Connecticut, Rhode Island, or Massachusetts have a rule for OSHA 30. Those are good. There's not a time limit on that. Once you get the OSHA 30, that's that's good for now. That could change. But um, yeah, I would definitely recommend a 30 over a 10. But to just get some general safety awareness, absolutely make sure at the minimum they're going for an OSHA 10. Hey, Sherry, how often do you think employer or employees should take refresher courses? Are things changing that rapidly in the, in, in the space that, you know, it's a yearly thing? What, what's your recommendation there? Um, so OSHA does have standards for specific things that require refreshers. Um, and there are certain trainings that have to be done annually. Uh, like bloodborne pathogen, if you have a lockout tagout program, uh, respirator training, those are types of things that standard speaking have to be done annually. Uh, As far as refresher, it depends um, on how comprehensive the first one was, if the standard has changed. There are, like we saw a big change for silica a couple years ago. So that definitely triggered new training for a lot of people in confined space a few years ago. A lot of times if there's a change in standard, we reach out. I think we do a pretty good job of letting um, 
individuals know that those changes have happened that would trigger a refresher. But uh, I would definitely say that's a good part where toolbox talks comes into play, making sure your company is doing a weekly toolbox talk. That's going to catch any of these questionable situations. Should I have done it annually? Is it time? Is it three years? Like forklifts is every three years. Um, having a nice little safety talk with everyone about ladders this week, maybe about head protection the next week, it keeps that relevant and continually in the employee's mind. We all know you take a course and a few little bit of time passes and you, you forget about it. You're not utilizing it as much. So I would say toolbox talks, make sure your company is doing those at least once a week. Just pick a day, coffee break, doesn't have to be long, like 10, 15 minutes, go over a common hazard in your workplace. And then otherwise there are standard requirements for refreshers as well. Now, Sherry, uh, we all like to think we're coming out of the COVID pandemic and we seem to be, but, but COVID issues still persist on the uh, job site. Can you, can you comment on those and on OSHA's possible involvement with the enforcement of those? Yeah, so I, I do know OSHA is enforcing it. Um, I, I'm fortunate to have good communication with the Providence area office. You know, this time last year, they were dealing with multiple um, deaths related to COVID. So that took precedent and that's where their main focus was. They did have multiple investigations and citations for that. Otherwise, um, it's being more so handled on a state level. Uh, there are state, we have a state run unit that was going out and checking job sites. They were making sure that they were in compliance, that you had questionnaires, that you had masks, wash stations. Obviously that's keeps shifting with your local state enforcement. So the best advice I would say for that, make sure that you're staying up to date on it. When you see those state memorandums coming out, look at them, read through them. Um, things shift, things change. Like you said, it seems like we're going out, but just in December, we had a big spike. So that's where we want to see those things being utilized, that information that's being put out on those memorandums. And do be aware there is a unit that does inspect. And I know this time last year, they were going out. I had multiple facilities that had spot inspections, but because we had good communication, they were checking in, they knew what they needed to have. There were no issues. They said, okay, you got a questionnaire, you got masks, you got hand sanitizer, we're okay. And then they left. But for facilities that didn't have that in place, and specifically those ones that got individuals uh, sick because of their lack of protocols, they're now facing both legal representation as well as OSHA. Okay. Well, as uh, sort of the icing on the cake, uh, general contractors should realize too, shouldn't they, that uh, they are responsible for any subs and their employees who are on the job site. Can you speak to that issue, please? Yes. So definitely if you're a general contractor, make yourself aware of the multi-employer citation policy. That tells you when a violation in general could fall on you. If it's a subcontractor, um, let's say you have all your COVID protocols in place. You're walking through the job site, but uh, you have a sub that isn't with it. The people weren't wearing masks. They, they didn't, you know, do their questionnaires and you were aware of it, 
OSHA is going to find them as well as you. And that really goes for any violation when it comes to being a general contractor. If you are there aware of it and you haven't made the means to make a correction, you're going to be cited and grouped in with them. So Sherry, I have to ask you this then. So if, if the COVID stuff, as far as protocols on construction sites and work environments is still in place to some degree, yet the state lifts all of its protocols, what's the, like, what do you do there? So if, do you go by your own department of health? Do you go by CDC? You know, if, is OSHA going to enforce something the state no longer says you need? I mean, that's, I'm just asking a little bit for clarity there. Um, in my opinion, no, I think they're, from what I've seen, they're going by the state and local regulations. Um, there was a, a memo sent out in November, but that has since went to the Senate and has been stopped. So I don't, I, from what I've seen, they're going by your, your state and local recommendations and enforcing those. Got it. So that's what we're communicating. That's uh, thank you for that clarification, but, uh, but just so everybody understands how important it was and could be again, when yes. it comes to these types of pandemics and being prepared. Um, could you just help me under, let folks understand what happens when an OSHA official visits your site? So they pull up in an official OSHA truck, like, you know, and if that person shows up and you're not there as the owner, you know, what, what you got to prepare people for these things, right? All right. OSHA shows up someday. Hey, Joe, it's going to be you on the job site. Or if you don't have anybody, what happens? Because we've had oh, circumstances I where some abrupt or uh, I won't say abusive, but somewhat abrasive employees start to say, like, what are you doing here? I mean, it, we don't ever want to be uh, unprofessional when a professional regulator shows up to your job site. But go ahead. I'll let you chime in on that. Yeah, so definitely it is a discussion you should be having with your employees on site. Um, like we just said, it's likely that we're going to start seeing them out in the field more often. I would say in a month, you know, come April, don't be surprised by that. Uh, like you said, always, always be in a calm state. Do never be aggressive. If there's something they can find, they're going to find it. I've seen easy inspectors and I've seen hard ones. Just like any job, there's going to be difference in personalities, but you're setting yourself up to have a better walkthrough if you're compliant and kind to them. First, make sure you do have a good point person. What's going to happen is they're going to come on site and let's say they have a complaint. Someone called in and said, you don't have water and you're cutting uh, concrete. We need to control this dust. So they're going to come on. They have to tell you why they're there. They have to find whatever company that they're specifically there for and what reason. They have what's called an opening. So that's the first thing that's going to happen. They're going to find the right person and they're going to have that opening, which does have to say why they're there, whether it's a complaint or if it's scheduled or if, um, you know, you're your mod rating can potentially for some people, and especially if you have state money into the project, put you on a list where they're going to eventually visit you as well. Either way, they have to share that. Um, if you want a representative there, you can request for them to wait. So if you want your business owner there or you want safety professional there, you can tell OSHA, I would like to have X, Y, and Z available for this opening and potential walkthrough. Um, 
I know for certain they have to wait for at least 45 minutes. It could be longer than that, but I, I can confidently say 45 minutes. Um, so that will allow you to get someone there. But if that person's not, then after they're opening, they're then going to want to see what it is that they're there for. I strongly encourage you walk through with them. If they take a picture, you take a picture. If they mention something, write it down. Because what's going to happen, they're going to do a closing after that walkthrough. They're going to tell you some things that they might cite, some concerns that they might have. But then they take all those notes and all those pictures and they bring it back to their supervisor. That supervisor reviews it and then ultimately determines what's going to be a violation incited to you. That's where you want to be able. Sometimes people think, oh, I got through. He, he was really nice. There wasn't that many things. But then they start going through those pictures and it's a whole nother battle. And you want to be best prepared for what's potentially coming your way. So be kind to them. And then, like I said, take notes of whatever they say. And if they take a picture, you take a picture. Uh, Sherry, is there um, any point we haven't touched on that you you think we ought to know about and the listeners uh, along with us? Just the one thing I would, besides getting an OSHA 10 or an OSHA 30, I will say with residential, um, just in construction in general, the number one killer is false. That's no. Um, Unfortunately, there was a six month period last year. I was genuinely concerned. There were a lot of fall hazards, a lot of accidents happening. I think COVID has affected people in a way where they're not present as much and mindful as safety as much. Um, so I would, in addition to encouraging OSHA 10s and OSHA 30s, if you're in the residential business, definitely make sure that you're doing some fall protection training. And that includes ladders, scaffolding, roof or other elevated work surfaces like aerial uh, boom lifts or pump jacks. It's, it's the number one killer. And if you really want to keep your company safe and your employees safe, I would say in addition to a 10 and 30, make sure you're doing a fall specific training course. Yeah, Paul, I can't stress uh, what Sherry just said um, more because uh, I, I've sat in on some of the classes and I've been privy to some stories um, of some really bad circumstances, things, some really bad accidents that have occurred in this industry. And uh, you think it can't happen on your job site. Look, I mean, people get distracted, make dumb decisions. Um, it, it, we just don't want to see people lose their life or be paralyzed or, you know, lose the ability to work. It's, it's just something that uh, a little, a lot of prevention actually can help prevent an awful lot of pain. So I, I say a lot of prevention because it really is an investment. It's an investment in your time. It's an investment in your company. It's an investment in your employees and your future. You want to have a successful company. Yeah, you got to price the job right. You got to know what you're doing, but you really have to have a safe, safe place. Um, and that also ties into our conversations about classification, you know, how you classify employees, which gets into the insurance. And that'll be my last question for you, Sherry. And I don't know if this is your area of expertise or not, but if a company is a painting company, but does some carpentry, you know, their safety uh, and how they classify their employees with the, with the insurance companies, do you have any, any um, tidbits on that? Or is that for an insurance professional to elaborate on? That's more so for insurance. Um, and the viewpoint of OSHA, they don't, it doesn't matter to them doesn't what matter. trade you're working in. They're just going to look at the hazard. Um, 
how you list your company in itself might affect where the citations go. Uh, that would be the only thing really on that. But as far as they don't differentiate, the only difference is the determination of residential versus commercial. Residential, they say, is wood framing. Right. So classical wood framing that in wood floors makes it residential. Otherwise, it's considered commercial. That's really the only differentiation. So, Monica, your thoughts here as we try to figure out the best way to communicate everything we've learned today uh, to the membership and industry at large. Uh, I know Sherry's out there. A lot of people will listen to this podcast, but as our communications manager, start thinking about how we get more people to get in these OSHA classes and more people to follow these rules and be aware of them all. I'll let you have the final say, Monica. I really don't have a final say, John, but thank you. (laughs) I like putting people on the spot because it's always Paul. Paul always closes everything, opens and closes everything. (laughs) So Monica, come on, you got to come up. Well, I was also thinking, you know, maybe like a a and a even um, down the road. I think there's so much great information in this, Sherry. And I think we have such a plethora of resources available for people to get ahead of it. Um, I really would think like maybe... um, we could look at maybe doing a, a Q&A poll down the road and maybe uh, using that in some fashion on our website and or maybe in the builder even. What do you think, Paul? Anything's possible, Monica. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's about it for our February 2022 <laughs> podcast. In the meantime, the Rhode Island Builders Association is going strong. For all the information, education, and member resources you need, Call 401-438-7400 during business hours or visit ribuilders.org anytime. I'm Paul Eno here with John Marcantonio, Monica Cummings, and Sherry Walden. We'll see you next month on Reba's News and Views podcast.